Hi, everyone, and welcome back to today's episode of Tech in Ed Tech. We are so excited to have you with us. Today's conversation is going to be discussing accessibility status compliant and then what happens next. I'm Erin Evans. I'm our Director of Accessibility Content Solutions here at Magic EdTech, and I am thrilled to have Cam Bodwin with us today. Cam is an expert in the field of disability inclusion and accessibility. With a diverse background in program management, software development, and enterprise consulting, Cam offers a business perspective on how organizations can tackle accessibility and disability inclusion. On his LinkedIn Live show called Normalize It, he delves into the business aspect of these topics, providing practical solutions to technical and non-technical audiences. Cam, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Aaron, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. And what a great intro. I mean, you're so good. <laughs> well, thank you. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about you for those who want to know a little bit more than you being an expert in these disability and inclusion and accessibility fields? Sure. I mean, it's up to you. All right. I've been in this industry for about nine years now, and I cut my teeth way back when at uh, at IBM, actually, where I ran the accessibility well, they call, they call it department, but I mean, it's it's functionally if if you can sell. Uh, if you can like sell the product, then you know you're called the department head. So I led the practice at, of accessibility at IBM Canada, and I was a developer at the time, and so I had to go and burn through defects. But what was really interesting is that I made it my own, and I think in a lot of organizations, we can us as accessibility professionals, we can start to specialize in one thing, and then we get known as the accessibility person. Some of us shy away. Some of us want that. And we become that accessibility champion within our organization. And so I became the accessibility champion for IBM Canada. And uh, I was called into every single project that possibly happened. Because up here in Canada, I'm not sure if any listeners know, we have the we have something called AOTA, Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. And at the time, a lot of companies were afraid of what would happen if they weren't made accessible. So I was the guy. I became the guy for accessibility. And from there, moved off into that more program management. I helped banks and, or I helped banks and large organizations build out their accessibility practice, as well as teach and train and coach teams on how to make sure their stuff is accessible. And finally, becoming a professional speaker on disability inclusion as well. And so I think that's about everything. That kind of lays down my expertise, I hope. It does very much. And I appreciate that you threw in the fact that you are Canadian because that gives us an um, additional perspective uh, as we're talking about accessibility, because many of us are located here in the United States and we don't often consider or think about the fact that our other countries have their own laws, much like the U.S. does, around accessibility and it's really good to share that information. Um, it's really also good to know that at the end of the day, we're all working towards the same goal. Mm-hmm. And laws are just a way to get us there. Yeah, exactly. So you were talking about, um, you know, you were the guy at IBM Canada for fixing things in accessibility, right? So over the past few years, there's been more of a focus than ever on accessibility. So what have you seen in the past and how do you see that accessibility is going to be evolving from here on out? See, first off, I want to say, isn't it great that so many other companies and organizations and governments and schools, education, doesn't matter what there's been, I've had an easier time entering conversations with accessibility than ever before. I know it's not everywhere. 
I know we still have lots of work to do, but it's so great that I no longer have to walk into an organization and twist people's arms, right? I mean, there, it seems to be, maybe that's just my perception, that more and more leaders and stakeholders, they've at least heard of accessibility, right? And I, I suspect, I suspect that it's mostly because there's, you know, if you, no one wants to be left behind and there's so much more focus nowadays on diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI, and ESG goals, environmental sustainability and governance goals that a lot of large organizations are really starting to put more focus on, or at least put some, uh, some ideas around. So, and this is especially if you were to talk to anyone who used to do accessibility back in the nineties or stuff, you know, you know, accessibility, what's that? Like that was, <laughs> that was the attitude that would happen back then. And nowadays it's like, okay, we're maybe not focused on it. We still have a lot to do, but at least it's not a, you know, you don't get that blank stare anymore, like 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 I used to. So, wh- where does it go from now, though? I think I think that as organizations put more and more efforts towards equality and inclusion, even within their organizations, just naturally we're going to start to have more organizations and companies pay attention to the importance of accessibility, and that makes our job. A lot easier, doesn't it? <laughs> it makes it, ma- it makes it a lot easier to go and ha- start those conversations. So, where do I see this in five to ten years? Is that again, we're going to see more and more organizations start to implement it. We're going to see more guidance around what does it actually mean to be compliant. This, the word "compliant" isn't even the right word to say anymore because what is compliance for? Except no one's giving a stamp on accessibility, right? You don't get some big, uh, you know, award for for being accessible because we don't know what barriers may present themselves later on down the line. So I can see a lot more focus on, on uh, putting out what does compliance mean? How, what are the outcomes that we're looking for? And I think that's kind of where everything's going. I think it's really interesting that you say, you know, there is no stamp for accessibility. And that is true, right? Like you can do a report that shows the current status, right? That accessibility com- conformance report. Right. You can have your VPAT filled out. And you can have users using your a site, but there's no like big gold star that what? you win. And, you know, thinking about the fact that there is no achievable end goal in that perspective, how do you think that companies will look at accessibility and say, even though I'm doing all of this work, and I'm putting in this time, and I have these documents to show that I've done this, where's my reward? What would you say their reward, quote unquote, is when they're doing that work? Well, that's where I think that us as accessibility professionals or anyone who is a champion inside their organizations, we need to learn to speak up. We need to learn how to show organizations that it's not a goal. There's no end status to this, just like, you know, gender equality within an organization. What are the benefits of having, you know, equal amount of, you know, board members who are women? Like, what do you get from that? Well, you get different points of view, you get a more uh, equitable workplace, you get to follow standards. And there's all these, you know, a lot of us have a hard time explaining these business benefits because that's what a lot of people start with looking for. Tell me the reasons why I should be doing this. Well, you know, we do it because it's the right thing to do. We do it because uh, it creates uh, more opportunities uh, for people who, you know, if you're, especially if you're selling a service or if you're if you're selling a product or teaching people online. You, you, 
greater access is what you want, right? Don't you want users, right? So a big part of what I talk about is around communication and advocacy. And so we need to get comfortable having that conversation with people and say, there's not an, it's not an end goal. There's nowhere that we're going to finalize and say, finally, we are here. We are the most equitable company, right? That, that doesn't really exist. It's a learning it's a learning process for everybody. And uh, everyone just has to get comfortable with the fact that there is no end goal, that we need to focus on the journey. I do love the way that you talk about focusing on the journey because that is also how I approach it and how we approach it here at Magic is it is a journey. And where are you on your journey and where do you need to go? So to the where do you need to go and how do I get there? Talk a little bit, if you would, please, about accessibility champions and what that looks like within a company. You know, you going back to in your past, you were the guy at IBM Canada and I might be a little off in saying this, but I'm sure that IBM Canada was a large, large corporation. So there had to be more than one person and you have to start somewhere. But how do you empower those companies and teams with the tools that they need to take the learnings and the championing of those people, those individuals, to make it into an initiative that is then sustainable and something that can be implemented throughout the company? So I would say don't start like how I started. When a lot of us start like this, right? I mean, we we started saying, you know, I'm going to stand on this soapbox and I'm going to shame everyone into compliance. And over time, I think we all kind of go through that process where the only way we think that we can be heard is to tell everyone how wrong they are in doing what they're doing. And it's only through experience of being uh, maybe even on the receiving end sometimes of this that you realize that we're not going to be winning any awards for doing that either. In fact, I've got a funny story. So I used to, when I used to consult with the bank, I used to walk around with the Darth Vader music, you know, ready, queued up on my phone because I would walk into <laughs> sprint meetings with dun, 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 dun. And it's like, does that, is that really the perception that we want people to have when we're trying to help them with accessibility? Absolutely not. So I would say that the best thing that you can do is you as an accessibility champion inside the organization, sometimes you are, uh, you know, an entity of one, a power of one, you've got to get comfortable with the idea that you're a coach more than anything else. And you're not going to win every single battle. You're not going to win every single battle. Just like how your fitness coach is is not going to get you to eat perfectly all the time or your money coach, maybe you go and spend something when you're not supposed to. These are the types of ideas that I try and relate to what we do here in advocacy. You are a coach first and you're not going to get all your wins. Now, say you've got that down, you understand you're not going to get every single win. How do you start to create an environment where other people want to join your cause? Well, it's got to be in a, uh, around the idea of acceptance and understanding that people may have different places where they start. And I always say, start where someone else is right now. Don't try and convert them. So if somebody, and I, I love storytelling, I'm big on storytelling. If somebody inside the organization is resistant or hesitant to caring about accessibility, you got to meet them there and start to relate to where they are uh, mentally. Because maybe, maybe they have other requirements that they need to care about right now. Maybe they're, uh, they have other, other um, tasks that need to be completed first. I know I speak to a lot of uh uh, advocates who they say, my boss just doesn't listen to me. And, you know, I can't seem to get them. I said, okay, it's okay. This sprint, you're not going to win next sprint. You maybe not win either. So what are you doing for accessibility two or three sprints down the line? And I say, we got to focus a little bit further down and you're going to get a lot more wins if you do that. So 
the best thing you can do to to really start to uh, get an organization to care or get your peers to, to care is really meet them where they are and 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 be open and approachable so that anyone wants to come to you and uh, and get their questions answered. Yeah, and I, I really like that approach, and I like that you how you framed that because. I think it also is that natural tie-in to some of those DEI initiatives where it is bringing in the empathy piece, understanding where you are and working from there to move forward instead, as you said, you know, being the Darth Vader, here comes the bad news. You know, it's, there is no bad news here. It is the reality of where you as an organization may be doesn't mean you have to stay there. And you can move forward, right? So um, let's talk a little bit about scaling an accessibility initiative and how members of the accessibility community could help. Where do you think that companies find it difficult to take these ideas and having, having learned accessibility is important, it's going to broaden your customer base because more people can use your products. Why is it still a difficulty to move those forward? I think one of the biggest gaps that us as accessibility professionals are still not with it yet, and even I'm still learning this, is that we don't document enough. We don't document our processes enough, and we don't document the way that we're going to approach a situation. Because imagine if every single time you brought your car into the mechanic, if he's, if, you know, if it was something new every time, I'm here for an oil change. Well, we're going to put synthetic in this time. You you, you come back and I say, well, we're going to put this other one. You say, well, why did you change it? And they say, I don't know. That's just what we feel like today. How? But that's how we that's how we react to so many of these situations. Now, I understand. I totally understand. Sometimes a button or a label, you got to treat them differently depending on what what the scenario is. But our approach to how we solve the problem can be standardized and can be documented. And maybe the solution is different, but what that starts to do is it starts to raise the confidence of the people who are in our organizations to your expertise. And that's something that even myself, like I just recently left my full-time gig to do consulting full-time on my own organization and what confidence it brings to my clients now when I show them uh, a, a well-documented report. They know that they're going to receive an answer from me within this amount of time. They know that they're going, they're going to receive a, a, a response to their request and a recommendation, all documented the exact same way every single time. That starts to make you seem like a serious you know, person who is willing and able to help in a rigorous way. And that's going to start to uh, give confidence to um, to them when they approach you and say like, hey, we need we need this solution here. And it's not just winging it. This person is not going to wing it every single time that they come. So I would say, I would say that is the biggest thing that we all uh, need to learn. Um, and I, even myself, this is how this is a, a good approach to uh, to re- giving recommendations for accessibility. I like that approach. I I personally am a big fan of documentation and process because it mm-hmm. does help. Um, and obviously, it's also an evolving piece. And in my experience, that's been the caveat. Like I often joke that I want to wear a t-shirt all the time that says it depends Mm -hmm. because you can approach it from that same systematic way, but inevitably there's going to be a curveball that you're going to want to adjust for. And still, still important to then document that curveball because you'll say, Hey, next time when it comes up, we've had this experience, but 
I think that's a really good um, way to approach helping to scale those initiatives. And I would um, even just jump in and say one more thing to that too, right? You know, you may have two different solutions to the same problem, but that approach, if that approach, if that email is a template email that you send every single time that someone says to you, hey, I've got a, a question on accessibility for you. If that response came back the same thing and if we clarified, right? You know, it could be something as easy as, this is the problem as I understand it. Clarifying what the problem is, is sometimes half the battle, isn't it, right? We all know that anyone who's who's ever worked in any kind of consulting role, if you just kind of throw out some answers, you're not actually teaching the people who are doing the work either. So this uh, this is like multi-layered here, and we don't talk enough about that in our industry. We don't talk enough about how do we create a repeatable business that has a process to it that's sustainable, not only for the people that we're advocating for, not only for the people we're advocating to, but also ourselves. You know, there's lots of people talking about advocacy fatigue or advocacy burnout these days as well. So something to keep in mind. Piling on to the advocacy burnout and advocacy um, fatigue, it does beg the question, how can the accessibility community help in these scalable initiatives? Not in a negative way. I know that the members of the community who are out there and are constantly speaking up. What are ways that they can help as we're looking at these across the board? So I would say probably the biggest way is that if you see a problem in a service that you really love, that you use a lot, don't be afraid to go and make yourself known to that organization or that, or even within, uh, within your own organization to help them find the solution that will work for you. I know many, many people in, in the community who have a way to send emails to organizations that, you know, they've created some uh, exclusion or a barrier to people with disabilities. I know it's tiring. I know it's exhausting. I, I, I could absolutely appreciate that. And we don't want to be, uh, our, our, our community is constantly fighting to be heard from uh, by uh, organizations as well. But if we don't raise our voice and if we don't learn how to communicate in a way that that organization will understand, then we will lose out in the long run, I feel. So as a community, we need to understand that fi- uh, getting involved uh, in the community, finding peers. I found LinkedIn is a really great place. In fact, I have a lot, that's where I do most of my, my work. So LinkedIn is a great community of, of disability and accessibility advocates as well. Yeah, I um, agree. Having worked in the accessibility field for the past few years, I have found the accessibility community to be one of the most welcoming and helpful communities because you can tell when some of those voices that are out there speaking up might have lost a little bit of energy and they're not as active on LinkedIn or on other social platforms, but somebody else inevitably steps in and they connect each other. And I, I like how you um, phrase the utilization of that community. And what I have seen is everybody is always there to help each other. So that would definitely be a place too that I would just add in to say, you know, tap into the individuals and to the community as a whole to learn what you don't know, because none of us know everything. (laughs) And I think that's a, I think that's another key point. You know, we might be very skilled in the work that we're doing, but I learn something new every single day. Absolutely. Which is one of the reasons I love being in it as much as I do. Yeah, I'm with you there. And don't forget the soft skills. That's one thing I'm going to say as well. Don't forget your soft skills, your communication skills, your negotiation skills, because that is as valuable as the technical skills that a lot of us tend to put a lot of emphasis on. 
So let's shift a little bit and specifically think about our education community and accessibility in education. What hurdles do you think companies need to overcome to be more compliant and usable in the accessibility mindset in the education community? So I would say some one of the biggest hurdles that like a lot of people are not focused on. Yes, we, we understand that the product is accessible. We understand that our deliverables are accessible. We we integrate that and we move forward with that. But one of the biggest things or, or two of the biggest things I should say are number one is procurement, any type of bringing other services or products into the organization. If that's not, if there's no focus on that, or if you haven't thought of your procurement policies yet, that is a natural next step. Once you get an understanding of what accessibility is from a technical point of view, go start to learn about who you're bringing into the organization. Because if you could imagine, maybe you're using some kind of third-party widget for calendar bookings or something like that. Well, what if that's not accessible as you, uh, you know, as you're delivering that to your client? It's it it's too easy just to wipe your hands and say, well. You know, I didn't build that, therefore it doesn't need to be made accessible. But that's that's not right either. And number two, I would say are your HR policies and, and hiring practices as well. And not it's not easy, but I'm saying it's very straightforward. You, uh, HR HR uh, departments can learn how to build better job descriptions, or think about accommodations, or you know, provide safe spaces for people to open up and talk, provide training to managers or, or directors as to what, um, you know, how to manage a team where somebody um, may have a disability, whether it's disclosed or not. So I would say those are like the really easy, not easy, those are the very natural next steps is after we've thought about a single part being accessible, where do we go from there? Yeah, I like, I like the way that you phrase that as well. I'm going to ask you the big picture question. How would you define an inclusive world for people with disabilities? So the, the really easy way to answer that would be no barriers. And I'm reading um, a great book right now talking about uh, by Kat Holmes. Um, it's called Mismatch for anyone who's listening. It's a great book. And in that book, she talks a lot about exclusion. And this is maybe a different take on how to think about accessibility. And I'm starting to now tap into a lot of that whenever I speak to people about accessibility, what it is, why it's important. Because while not all of us may understand firsthand what it is to have a disability, or not one that we know of anyways, we can all understand what it is to be excluded from something. Even if you go back in time, back, you know, when you're when you're a kid and you weren't invited to a party, or maybe you you didn't get to go to, you know, your grandparents' house or something like that, or a friend had had something that you didn't and you wanted to go join in and they didn't want you to. We all have under we can all understand what exclusion is. And so to me, the world, uh, a, a, an inclusive world is one where there's no exclusions for anybody based on their ability. Wouldn't that be like the best place to live? I would, I would love to have, <laughs> I right? would love to, to be there, right? Right, um, right. One step at a time, baby steps. And um, I think that's, but it starts with us, doesn't it? It starts it does, with, it, it starts with each and every single one of us, right? And whether it's, you know, maybe you're at work and as more, more and more of us are going back to an office kind of setting, what is it to invite you know, your whole team out, you know, if, if, if it's 12 o'clock and you, you know, it's really interesting. I'm not sure if um, a lot of the listeners are going back to work and it feels different now at work, doesn't it? I'm not sure if 
you know, anyone has felt that, but going back to an office setting where there's, you're supposed to have lunch again. Do you have lunch with your peers? Do you go out for, you know, what is it to, to say, okay, everyone at, you know, noon, every Wednesday, when we go to work, we're just going to have lunch together. Is that okay? If you don't want to join, I mean, it's fine. But what if we were to create a more inclusive world by just starting with our own community and our own workplace and things like that? Yeah, I agree that it does start with your individual actions. And I think that goes for anything that you're trying to to do good or do something better in the world. But especially when you're thinking about accessibility and inclusivity, you know, utilizing whatever you're whatever you're working on in your daily office job, you know, maybe it's a computer program, maybe it's your email program, but you notice something that you can't navigate to with a keyboard or it doesn't make sense to you or you can't see because you're getting older and your eyesight is changing, right? So just say, raising your hand and saying, hey, have we looked into this? Mm-hmm. this is this something that we can we can see where it's falling in the compliance and what can we do to fix it? Right, right. All right. What advice do you have, Cam, for ed tech companies and educators who might be listening to our show? I would say that don't shy away from this topic. A lot of us create barriers in the work and what we do, not out of intent, but it does seem to kind of crop up, doesn't it? And a lot of the times I know for myself when I excluded somebody or something it was it was it was not intentional and then when I realized it, I felt I felt ashamed. I mean, I, th- I think that's very natural as well. We don't want to go and Ooh, you know, I I don't want to go and talk to this person because maybe I have to redo some work or um, you know, I didn't think of it that way. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be shamed if I walk up to them and, and, and tell someone that I created this barrier. So start early and start opening up to talking to people again, and just asking a simple question, Hey, does this work for you? Right. Something as simple as an email. You just mentioned email. Yeah. If you're using outlook, right. It has an email checker, an accessibility checker integrated inside and asking, you know, I, I had access to somebody who, was visually impaired. And I said, Hey, does this work for you? And he says, well, not really. <laughs> when you do it like this, you know, for some reason it flips to this. And, and, you know, uh, I, I would just like it if in an email signature that you would put the alt text on the company logo. And I said, you know, I didn't even realize that because the com- the signature was provided by the organization, right? You know, like they got federated identity where they just push a, a signature to every single person, but I can still get in there and fix it. So being open to being wrong and being open to, uh, understanding and learning more about how to be more inclusive, I think is probably the best advice I can give right now. That is great advice. And as we are closing out our podcast, do you have any final words or anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? I'd say if you have time on Fridays at noon, I do host that LinkedIn live show, which talked about the early show. So that's my uh, LinkedIn live show on disability inclusion, accessibility, and I try and bring a business tilt to it as well. So uh, there's a lot of uh, podcasts out there talking about the tech, uh, but this is much more for business. So we try and bring on a whole bunch of people. I had the chief accessibility officer of Canada on the show. I also have some people from Microsoft and uh, um, also HR reps. So great podcast. Come check it out if you can. Well, thank you again so much for your time today, Cam. We really appreciate having you. It was a great conversation. And um, for our listeners of our Tech and EdTech podcast, thank you all for joining us. And we look forward to having you join us at our next episode. Thanks for having me, Aaron.